0: Welcome back to episode 94 of Chess Journeys, Tales of Adult Improvement. Here on Chess Journeys, we seek to not only explore the glories of ratings gain, but also dive into the plateaus, which are the norm, and perhaps even the pits of despair below that. If you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon Chess Journeys. And I want to thank Matt Bush, Jay Garrison, Donna Rich Burgess, Brandon Hallside, David Schreiber, Lindsey Newhall, and Jeff Peterson. Uh, I have been streaming quite a bit on Dr. Skull underscore Tiny Grimes. Uh, actually, this week I started just streaming tons of 5 5 games as part of my mission to play more games. If you want to appear on the show, you can fill out the Google form in the show notes. We all want to hear your story. And today I bring you Bill. He is a national master. And I dare say he may be the most exciting guest we've ever had on this podcast because he has done the impossible. He has achieved the dream we all hope to have to one day become a master as an adult, and Phil has done it. So, Phil, welcome to the show, and uh, have you had a chance to play any chess yet today? Only online. Okay. I played a few games online, so yes, absolutely. Played a few games online, and I see you're sitting in front of a beautiful chessboard, so that's great. Definitely. I actually got this as a gift for becoming a master. Oh, that's amazing. Who gave that to you? A local chess player by the name of Michael Mockley. Okay. Well, that's amazing. I hope to one day achieve master and maybe I'll get a chessboard as well. That would be awesome because it looks it looks amazing. Um, all right, Phil. So I guess let's start at the beginning with this story because I'm so fascinated of how you pulled this off. But when did you first start playing chess? Did you play at all as like uh a, a child or, or a young a young adult? Well,
1: as a child. My aunt introduced me to the game. She basically just showed me how the pieces move. But mm-hmm. I didn't get serious until I wandered around the neighborhood and I see some guys playing in the park and they were playing blitz. So I was like immediately intrigued because I always thought I was a smart guy. So I said, let me go test out my knowledge. So when I sat down with them, they obliterated me. <laughs> and not only did they obliterate me, they talked trash to me too. So they said, they said jokingly, Uh, go study the internet, go study a book. But as we know, there's a little truth in every joke. So I took it serious. So that's exactly what I did. I started studying,
0: reading books, and it led to improvement. Okay, nice. And what age are you uh, as this is going on? I was 19 years old. Oh, wow. So 19 is when you are first like picking up chess for real. Yes. Wow. Okay. Some might call that a late bloomer. I don't know. I, I would call it a late bloomer myself. <laughs> okay. Well, that's awesome. So you see these guys playing chess. What what did you go do right away? Like what books do you remember picking up right away or what videos were you watching? Okay, so there was a gentleman in the park and a couple of days after that happened, he introduced
1: me to Aaron Nimzovich, my sister. Mm-hmm. So I read that forward and backward a couple of times. And also uh, a bunch of the Fred Reinfeld books, like the Thousand and One Checkmates, that, that helped me in the early stages. But the book that really made me increase in strength was Vladimir Vukovic, The Art of Attack. It, it taught me how to train my focus when I'm attacking. Because if you want to win any chess game, sooner or later, you, you have to attack.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I had a similar experience. I read, like, when I was first starting to play, like, 20 years ago, I had no idea how to attack. Like, I'd get my pieces around the king, and then I'd be like, why doesn't this king checkmate itself? And I also yeah. read Art of Attack, and it really helped a lot. I was like, oh, there's like a process to this whole thing. Okay. Absol- uh, absolutely. absolutely. What uh, I feel like Nimzovich has like a, a shakier reputation than he had 20 years ago. Like 20 years ago, there weren't a lot of choices. So Nimzovich felt like the guy, and now he gets, he gets a lot of trash talk sent his way. Yeah. But at the stage I was at, it really helped me to understand like positional chess,
1: pawn structure, and past pawns. And so it, sparked, it was like the catalyst for me to read other books. I, mm-hmm. After that, I had like a voracious appetite for information about chess because the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. So I picked up all the uh, Jeremy Silman stuff and I read uh, uh, Devoretsky, the, the Endgame game books. I was
0: just all in. I was fully committed to chess. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, I guess I had a couple of questions there. First, though, uh, I think it's such a good point that like you need a strategy book, right? Maybe it's Nimzovich. I read Ludic Pachman, which isn't even in the new notation. You could read Selman, but but probably it's more that you read a strategy book that gave you all those tools you needed, right? Absolutely. Okay. Um, and so so now I got to ask you, you mentioned Deverecki's manual. Like, when did you jump into that thing? I jumped
1: into that after I read all the basic books. So probably around 18, 1900 string
0: is okay. when I started. rescue. Okay. Wow. It sounds like you climbed really fast then. Like I've read like 30 chess books and I'm not, not even 1700 anymore. I had a catastrophic tournament. I dropped to 1699. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I guess I just picked up on the concepts very fast
1: and applied them. Uh, I guess a lot of blitz helped. And a, a thing that helped me improve a lot was I used to watch like super grandmasters play blitz. And I would listen to what they would say. And they would teach so many chess principles while they were speaking. And I just picked up on that. I had the opportunity to spend some time around uh, international master Farai Mendiza. And he did the same thing as the GMs online. He was just quoting these principles while he was playing he said double the rooks double their strength and never miss a check and these things just vividly stood out in my mind so when i played my games i applied all those principles that they were saying and voila they worked
0: very nice when you were playing were you were you saying the principles out loud to your opponent you're like double the rooks double the strength and they're like what the heck this is the weirdest trash talk i've ever heard <laughs> i didn't go that far <laughs> oh that's too bad uh, so how long did it take you before you were able to go back to this park after after studying and uh, and give them a game? Did you go, like, back the next day, or did you kind of, like, hibernate for a bit and do some studying and then go back over there? So this, what happened is when they talked
1: the trash to me, I, like, internalized it. So I went back and studied, but I didn't let them know I was studying. So I came consistently to the park, but the following summer, one year, I was about even with them. And then two summers, I was beating them. Because, oh, wow. Yeah, the strongest guy in the park at that time probably was sixteen or 1,700. But when you're 1,000 or 1,100, they seem like grandmasters.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember those days. Back when I used to play 20 years ago, I was only a 1,000. And there was this guy at the club who was 1,600. And he was the most condescending, arrogant guy. And But I was like, he's like a god. He's 1,600. <laughs> that right? yeah, that's exactly how
1: i felt about the gentleman who gave me the uh, my system book he was only about 15 1600 but he had the trash talk of a grandmaster <laughs>
0: well i guess that's a good skill to have <laughs> so as you were studying and learning and reading your Nimsovich, uh were you only playing in the park or were you playing online as well or were you playing like over the board rated events how did that work for you
1: right so when I was reading the Nims Division, developing my skills, at first I was only playing in the park. And then it was a gentleman in the park by the name of Bobby Rodder. And he was, an, he was an avid tournament player. So he introduced me to the tournament. So it was a local quad. So I started to participate in the quads. And in my rating, it grew quickly. I, I got up to about 1,600 strength in like no time. And I was applying all the things I learned in the books. And that was my go-to to play tournaments at the quads and then it progressed from there and I learned about national tournaments like the Foxwoods Open and World Open and Sturbridge and so I started to travel to all those tournaments and I gained experience and I gained rating points as well so it was a quite the journey it was I had
0: fun the whole time nice all right so I, I guess I'm sitting here trying to figure out how does a guy at 19 go from like never playing, we'll say around a thousand or something to 1,600 in two summers. Like, this seems amazing, I I wanna know the secrets. So it feels like we've got, we're doing some Nimzovich, we read Vukovic, we're playing stronger players at the park, we're we're hanging out with IMs, uh, doing some puzzle books, anything else I'm missing in here? I think
1: the missing thing is just complete focus. I was just focused on the tags my sole purpose at that point in my life was to improve in chess. So everything I did centered around that. Just okay. complete submersion in the game. I like I that. Like, yeah, I remember I read uh, Mikhail Tau, The Life and Games of Mikhail Tau. He's actually my favorite player, by the way. So it was a line in the book where he said, when he was in, introduced to chess, he didn't know, but he was infected by the chess microbes. And I, I felt that happened to me. I was deeply in, infected by, it. I was just, it consumed me. I just loved it. It was like chess was amazing to me. Like you, you can create tactics and these pens and forks and discovered attacks and discovered
0: checks. And I said, wow. Wow, that is amazing. So I guess when we're saying full immersion here, what are we talking about? Are we talking about like, Five, six hours a day studying. Are we talking only like one or two? But always having it on your mind as you're doing the other things in your day. Like, what does full immersion look like for Phil in this period where he's gaining all this this rating? Well, full immersion for me was about eight hours a day of study, and and
1: playing. I'm playing play the park and then go study eight hours. Of course, after after work. Mm-hmm. So that I I was so infatuated with chess at that point. It was it was the greatest thing to me. Wow, that is full commitment, my friend. that's I think that's how the rating shot up so fast. I was just I was understanding the concepts
0: fast and applying them as well, yeah. so it sounds like you had a love for it, you had the time to commit yourself to that, and then you had the dedication to actually do it yes that that was the recipe in a nutshell absolutely okay. yeah, and that that's a hard recipe to come up with because It's hard to have the time. And then even when you have the time, oh, there's so many things you could do in life, Phil. There's uh, the internet calling you. There's Netflix going, hey, got a new show for you. Uh, You were able to shut all that out, huh? Yeah,
1: I remember a saying that always stuck with me. The thing you do most is the thing you do best. So I always remember that. So I said, I got to pick something. It's a million things to do, but what do you want to be great at? I always think of uh, Kobe Bryant because of his relentless work ethic. And I just applied it to me. Kobe Bryant said he trained six hours a day for six days a week. That's complete immersion. He said, when you do that, you separate yourself so much from the competition, from the guys who are doing all those other things. You got to focus on one thing. So at that time in my life, chess was that one thing.
0: Hmm. Okay. That's amazing. Um, it, it's funny because at work recently, I had someone ask me, like, how much do you do do chess a week? And I was like, uh, around 10 hours. And he was like, 10 hours? Oh, my goodness, you must be so good. And I was like, no, you don't understand. That's like on the low side of people who are trying to get better. And he's like, what? You need a different hobby, man. <laughs> so I think the wor- some people in the world have a hard time understanding this full immersion thing. Yeah, but I guess I look at
1: chess as like a language, like any other worthwhile pursuit. So if you and I spoke Russian, we couldn't speak it to anybody else because they wouldn't understand mm. unless they are Russian. So I think chess is the same way or any worthwhile pursuit. People look at it and say, you're crazy. But I guess you got to pick you're crazy. Do you want to be known as crazy for sitting on the couch for
0: seven hours a day or studying chess for seven hours a day? So mm. I chose. OK, that makes sense. And then I think the full immersion thing also applies to language as well. Right. Like if you want to get good at a language. It's tough to do it only one hour a day. The best way to do it is just go live in that area and do full immersion for a while. 100%. Now you're forced to learn because you want to communicate. Yeah. So I think
1: chess, using that analogy, chess is like a language. So your strength is determined by your fluency in that language.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Do you remember thinking at all, like, I need to divide up my time in various chunks and bits, or because you were spending so much time, was it just kind of like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do in chess that helps me be fully immersed? Yeah, that's exactly what I did. So when I felt it was time
1: to study openings, I studied openings. When it's time for middle game and tactics and strategy, I did that. And of course, the end game, which I feel is super important, I did that. So I split it up when I felt I needed it because I was spending eight hours doing it. So
0: I made like a, a system out of it. Very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So you said you were looking at end endgame manual. Did you also look at any sort of like practical endgame books or videos? Practical meaning like not memorizing various types of positions, but just like how to play endgames generally. I, f- I found that to be quite challenging for a lot of people.
1: Well, I think the only thing I looked at in endgames besides Devretsky was I looked at a bunch of Capablanca games because his style was so simplistic and straightforward and easy to understand i also would watch uh, play over a lot of other grandmaster games as well and just focus on the ending like of course annotated so i can understand what was going on and why they made this move or why they made this decision so just those things they helped me grasp the concepts and learn certain end games that worked for me
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um, so it sounds like probably Mikhail Tal's uh, Life in Games was one of those books. Any other end game, or sorry, any other um, master game compilations that you remember really spending time with? Oh, I've read, I think I've read
1: mostly every single world champion. Mm. From Steinitz, Lasker, you name it. I was, I was infatuated. So anybody I came across that had a great chess ability, they were, I love them. I love them. Of course, Kasparov and Top- Topolov and you, you name it, Rubenstein, Akiva Rubinstein. you name it. Uh, another attacking player that I loved is
0: uh, Rashid Nez- Nezmedinov. Mm. His, his attack was fierce. Yeah. I, the funny thing is I hadn't really heard much about him. And then the Chess Dojo recently put out like the greatest chess games ever. And I'm pretty sure... Uh, he was on that list, and I was like, who is this guy? So that's cool. I'm hearing his name twice now.
1: Yes. He had an amazing attacking prowess. He actually has a plus score against my favorite player, Mikhail Tap. And okay. I think uh brought him on as a second.
0: Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you got to, like, 1600 just basically doing full immersion in two summers What happened there with your journey? Did you immediately continue growing at that same rate or did you kind of hit that wall that a lot of people hit of like, okay, I've gotten all the easy stuff together. Now, how do I get, you know, how do I make these next steps? Well, actually I just continued with my plan of full immersion and I didn't actually hit a wall until I
1: reached 2000 strength.
0: Ah, okay. All right. So you're able to kind of glide to 2000. How long did it take you to get to 2000 then? Uh, it took me some time, maybe, I think, four or five years. Okay. Yeah. So it's four like- or five years, full immersion. Was it just kind of like a slow, steady climb then the whole way up? It was. It was. I don't think I had any dips. It was just up until 2000. <laughs> okay. And were you thinking at that time, like, hey, like Grandmaster is pretty doable because I just keep going up or did or were you aware that you might hit a wall at some point? Actually, I I never
1: considered a wall or Grandmaster. I was just having fun. Oh, and okay. I felt that the, the rise in rating was just a result of my, my work. So I ne- it never crossed my mind. I was just in it, traveling to different tournaments, learn, uh, meeting new people who
0: had the same passion as me. So I was like a kid in a candy store. I was just loving it. Gotcha. So it sounds like you were just all in on the process, just... I'm loving studying, playing, and then if my rating goes up, cool. And then it does, and you're like, okay, sounds good. That's that's exactly it. But after the war, the
1: the the thing that made me climb to master is it was more psychological than skill. Figure mm. out why I was losing. Sometimes I would have like mental lapses where I would only focus on what I was doing and forget that I had an opponent sitting in front of me that wanted to win as well. So I had to work on a lot of that and just correcting the weaknesses and working out the kinks psychologically. And another big thing that helped me, well, the thing that made me make master was a local guy by the name of Dave Finn. He started running these tournaments once a week. So that gave me an opportunity to play consistently and work out those kinks faster. Because at that point, I think I was a little tired of doing the long distance travel with the money and the hotels. And so Mm -hmm. I said, "I'm, I'm okay at just an expert. But when he introduced those local tournaments, I said, hey, let's give a shot at becoming a master. So that's what I did. I went every single week, and it went up and down because there was other strong players there.
0: But eventually, I was able to overcome all the obstacles and get the 2200 rating. Nice. So when was it when you decided, like, I'm going to make this actual push to master now? Uh, it was right before the COVID pandemic. Uh okay. What is that? Four year twenty twenty was the pandemic. I think so, man. I, I've lost track of time now. Yeah. So <laughs> right, right before that is when I made up in my mind that hey, I'm now I'm twenty one hundred. I might as well
1: strive to uh, get the, the next hundred points. And another thing that gave me a lot of inspiration was it, it's a super strong player by the name of Jason Liang. I think he's one of the top juniors now. So hmm. he actually club when he was twenty three fifty. And I was in the 2100s and I actually, I beat him in a, a, a clean victory. I just outplayed him. And I said, if I can outplay him,
0: Hey, it's no doubt that I'm going to make master. Very nice. Okay. Um, and then, so how long did it take you to make master once you started that push? I think it was two years, two years from expert to master. Yeah. Okay. And that includes the pandemic. Yes, that's actually when I became a master in March of 2020, during oh, the pandemic. Okay. Okay. Yes, you made it like right at that beginning of the pandemic. Absolutely. Okay, well that's cool. So you got to 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 sit the whole pandemic out and just be like, I'm a master. I made it. I did it. That's exactly how it was. They they had a big
1: article in the paper for me, and I, I was on the news. And I actually became the the first black master
0: in this my area ever. So that was a that was a milestone as well. Yeah, that is such a great milestone. And I wonder if the paper realized what a milestone also it is to pick up the game at 19 and make master. Like that, that might be even a rarer milestone. Like you're, you are the only person I've ever met who's done that, Phil. Like I have scoured the globe looking for someone who's accomplished this and it appears to be just you. Wow. I I never even thought of that, but that's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's just one of these really hard things. And I think this interview has helped me understand a little bit more. Like one of the great challenges for adults, I think, is that idea of being able to do the full immersion. There's so many things pulling on us adults in different directions. And then even those little pockets when we do have the big time, it's kind of like, ah, do I really have the dedication to do the six hours tonight? Or do I need to just rest? And it sounds like you were like, uh, I need to push. I need to do it, and also I love it. So why not do it? This is what I love doing. Absolutely. It was
1: more. It was more so the love and the passion. I never thought of it as the push, like where I had to challenge myself to do it. I was like, oh wow, I get to study. Give, give me another book. You got a book? That that
0: was my mindset. That's amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to channel the Phil mindset more. Okay, <laughs> that sounds good. Um, I guess when you were in your full immersion, do you remember? Like, was there did you play a lot of games? Because one of the challenges I'm wrestling right now with is like I've read all these books, but I worry that like there's this knowledge and skill gap of like how do I take all that knowledge and turn it into chess skill? Right. Like if we just had a contest of like who can name the most chess concepts? I don't know, my rating might be like two thousand. But then when I played chess, uh, you know, it's not as good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a local park, the same park where I got baptized by fire. We, they were, we would play there every single day. We had like a, it was a crew of players, some, some local consistent players ranging. At that time, it was a guy who was about 2,100 there. So I got to spar with him a lot. I would go read and then I apply what I read against him. Mm. And he was another one who would say these chess principles while he's playing you and trash talking. So I learned a lot from him. It was a, a bunch of things that helped me get over those humps, but
0: definitely playing a lot against stronger players. Yeah, that seems like such an amazing strategy to have someone you play with who's kind of like recounting their thought process as they're doing it. I mean, you can kind of see that with streamers and that's great, but I feel like it's more resonant when it's your own opponent. So you can be like, why am I losing? And the person's telling you as they're playing, they're like, this is why you're losing. This is what I'm doing. That's, That's
1: pretty much what happens. And I just, I absorbed it all. And then I wouldn't make the same mistakes in future games. And then I would see the game scores
0: getting more more close. So I said, okay, I'm improving. Yeah, that's amazing. I, you know, it's one thing I haven't heard you mention much is openings. Did you spend a lot of time memorizing openings and opening lines? Or was it more strategy, end games, tactics, and just playing? Yes, that's
1: absolutely correct. I never... Focus much on openings. It was just the the other bulk of the game, the strategy, the tactics, the endings, because what I did was I analyzed where I lost most of my games and it wasn't in the openings. So I, I feel like from 1400 to master, as long as you understand the principles of the openings and you don't violate anything or make any gross blunders, I think once you make it to the middle game, now you can employ your strategy, look for tactics and build your position. So that's that's where I put most of my focus on. But I think after Master, now the opening becomes very
0: important because you don't want to give up advantage. Yeah, that seems like an important distinction. I think that's hard, I think, for newer players because openings, I, I feel like openings is the area where you can more quickly see improvement because you're just like, look, I remembered the first seven moves and that's like, yeah, but your opponent didn't play any of those moves, and you're like, well, but I still remember them. That was the problem I always ran into. Whenever I studied an opening and memorized all these variations,
1: the, my opponent would never play it. So, I, so yeah. I said, you just focus on principles, and because the stronger you get, now the opponent is going
0: to know the theory as well. So now you you must know it too. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, How much time do you feel like you spent studying tactics? Did you do a lot of puzzles or were you mostly sort of studying tactics in game? No, I I did
1: thousands of puzzles. That was my, I love tactics. Uh, But the thing I studied as well was how did this position, how did they arrive at this position? Because that's what your chess game is. It's like an ebb and flow. It's not just, okay, here's a tactic. Here's a pen. Here's a a obscure you have to understand what leads to that position. And then when you arrive at that position, you have to be able to execute the tactic as
0: well. Hmm. When you, What do you mean by that? Like when you're doing say like a tactics book, are you trying to unwind and think about like what type of game did this come from as you're solving the puzzle? Not, not as, as far as not, not
1: like that. So I would, I would also study strategical puzzles. So if, if I can follow a strategical puzzle, then I can get a feel for how the tactic came about.
0: Mm, okay. I feel like How's a the- good book for that today would be Chess Tactics from Scratch. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen this book, but it's really cool where it'll be like, here's a fork, and this is how forks work. And then it talks about like setting up bases and foundations from which you can fork from and noticing like pieces that are on forkable squares, and maybe your knight is nowhere near there. But... By noticing that and noticing that there's this foundational square that could set up potential forks, you can, like, build from there. So I really enjoyed that book about building tactical opportunities rather than just spotting them on the board. Right, right. So, yes, I, but I,
1: yeah, both, I think both skills are important because sometimes tactics can just arise.
0: Yeah. Yep, sometimes Definitely. tactics are just there.
1: Yes. And you have to, you have to be alert.
0: Yeah, yeah, that yeah. sounds right. Um, how many tournament games were you playing in this period where you were um rising rapidly, both in your early period and your later period? It sounds like you were traveling a lot. Were you playing a ton of over the board games then? I was. Uh the bulk the bulk of my tournament experience came from the quads. And then after the
1: quads, I found out about the uh the national tournaments. The world opens and the Fox was open. So I would make it my business to go to the Fox tours every year the world open when I could because that was a little more expensive but it was Mm -hmm. also Massachusetts and Vermont so whenever I could I would I would definitely travel to those but that over the board experience is I think it's nothing like it because you're it's, it's a psychological battle as well you're dealing with moods and temperaments and emotions and that can affect your play. So I always made it my business to approach the game with like great confidence. And I always say to myself, what move would I hate to see if I was my opponent? And I would always look for moves like that. I would make it like high energy inside myself. I would get excited about the game. So when I'm excited, it makes me want to find great moves. So I always pay attention to my move when I'm playing chess.
0: Okay. Interesting. I like this idea of playing with great confidence. I feel like, uh, for many of us who are, who recognize that we're not yet good at chess, it can be so hard to play with great confidence. How did you channel this confidence when you were you know, lower rated? Did you just know, like, I'm doing the work, it's going to pay off? Yeah, it came from just studying, just planning <clears throat> properly, because I was equipped with this knowledge or the
1: knowledge I thought, so I would just go to the tournaments and I would look for chances to apply what I was learning at the moment, and it would work. When, I remember when I learned the, uh, the Greek gift sacrifice every single chance I got, I looked for ways to, 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 to get that in. And it sometimes it worked. And then when I'm playing lower rated opponents, they, they didn't, they never saw it coming.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, that's amazing. Um, did you have any coaches during your rise? It sounded like you had some people you were playing at the park and they were trash talking you in a very informative way, but did you have any formal coaches that you would work with? I never had a formal coach. It was just me, the books, and the people who
1: influenced me. Hmm. I would always gain inspiration from players that I found out about. It was uh, this website that gave me so much inspiration. It's called the chessdrum.net And what the site did, it would highlight players of the African diaspora. So I learned about this great attacking player by the name of uh, Emery Tate. And I analyzed some of his games and he was Beating these GMs and like effortlessly with these amazing sacrifices. So I would like channel inspiration from him, uh, Maurice Ashley, International Master Stephen Muhammad, a South African International Master by the name Watu Kobase I would just like study these these guys' games and I say, "Wow!" So I always pick a player to derive inspiration from. And of hmm. course, my
0: favorite, Tao. <laughs> yeah, always Tal. Well, that's yes. Cool. That sounds like such a great way to do this. Okay. Would you consider some of the people at the park sort of like your coaches? Like, did you have people who took you under your under your wing and were like, you should look at this next, you should look at this next, or do you feel like you were kind of um, just an independent guy going through the program on their own? I think it was, I wouldn't call them formally my coach.
1: They would just recommend things to me and I would take the will from them it was, it was mostly me. I was just so driven. I just wanted to to know everything I could know about chess at that point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They would definitely recommend ideas for me and would have some opening to try out or a book to read,
0: but never any formal coaching. Gotcha. How about an analysis? Did you analyze your games with any of the people at the park? Um, did you have a, like an analysis partner at all anywhere? Or were you mostly looking at games on your own with say like an engine or something? That's that's exactly what I did. I did it on my own with an engine. So that was
1: another thing that made me improve so much. Uh, just playing over my losses because I wanted to understand my thinking and why I was making these blunders. So just going over the positions and with an engine and seeing where I made my errors, it, it taught me a lot about where I was going wrong. So I think that's one of the greatest ways to improve is to analyze your own games because it's your own thoughts and your own moves as opposed to a master game. Yeah. Both... Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say both both
0: help. Analyzing master games as well as your own games. But I think your own games more because it's you. Yeah, that makes sense. When you're doing this analysis, are you putting in thoughts in the game like I thought about this even though the engine says it's totally wrong and trying to analyze why maybe your thoughts were wrong, or is it more just like looking at the moves and and trying to figure out how to make better moves with the computer?
1: I think I think I did both. I definitely think I did both. I would I would follow the game and follow what I was thinking or calculating at the time, and then mm-hmm. I would see the recommendation. I say, wow, that's that's so much better of an idea.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yes. Um, did you work on calculation specifically at all? Like we, we talked about tactics, but did you have any books you were working out that were really like working on deep calculation? Not not too much formally like that. My deep calculation came from very involved tactical puzzles. Hmm.
1: So if it was like a six or seven mover, I would that would train me in calculation there. Okay. Because we didn't really talk about calculation, but I think calculation is one of the biggest things in chess because if you can't calculate, then... What do you have you got to be able to see you got to have that vision to yeah. see deep in the
0: positions yeah i totally agree with that i've uh it's it's so definitely a weakness of mine i keep coming to this thing phil where it's like i calculate effectively but i stop a move too soon and the next move is disaster so yes. uh, that's been brutal <laughs> that, that happens to the best of us <laughs> Okay. I guess my next question for you is this. So you hit 2000. Um, Are you like, okay, I'm going to hang it up now. I achieved my dreams. Are you thinking I'm going for the next title or are you just going, I'm Phil. I love chess. I'm going to keep studying and see what happens.
1: Yes. So when I hit 2000, my mindset was, okay, I am made expert now. I really don't want to travel anymore to play chess. Mm -hmm. But then my my friend Dave he started the local tournaments and that reignited my passion to pursue
0: higher heights. Yeah, how about now though? Now that you've reached master, are you still doing these weekly tournaments? Well, I just recently got back into it,
1: so of course I'm a little rusty. But now my <laughs> and these, these kids these, these kids improve so fast. But now, now my new goal is I want to hit 2300 first. So I'm oh. going to focus. I'm gonna use the same recipe because it worked before and I'm gonna put all my energy into becoming 2300
0: now. Okay. Have you thought about doing any coaching at all? I actually do coach. Okay. I have, have some students now. That's awesome. Is that like a side gig for you or is that becoming a main gig for you? Just side right now. But if it picks up tremendously, it could become a main gig. Okay. That's cool. So, and is it something you enjoy, sort of imparting the wisdom that you've learned? I do, because when I teach, I learn as well.
1: Mm. It's like, it refreshes like my memory. I say, oh, okay, it makes it more clear for me. Once
0: I see them get it, I, the same thing happens for me. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, do you expect full immersion from your students? Well, I
1: don't know if I expect it, because every personality is different. So I always analyze who I have. And okay. I analyze almost their, their capability because I don't wanna force it on them because everybody has different levels of interest. But if somebody shows me that they have that same type of passion,
0: then, then absolutely, absolutely. That's cool. Um, do, are you mostly teaching kids or adults? I teach both kids and adults. Nice. Yeah. Oh. Uh, when, when you work with kids, I, I'm always just curious about this. Do you feel like kids are picking material up quicker or do you feel like it's similar? Well, I think the kids pick it up much faster than adults
1: because I think it's less on their minds and they're just focused on chess. And I always do my best to explain it to a way explain it in a way to them that they can understand, even if I have to use analogies, whatever mm-hmm. analogy for the individual, because we all we all learn differently.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things I've been realizing and a big difference between kids and adults is like adults have resistance to like someone telling them they're doing something wrong, right? Even if they know it's they need to improve, it's still hard because they're an adult, they're successful at all these things in their lives. Whereas kids all day, they're told like, no, you're not doing that right. And they're just like, oh, okay. So I don't know. It just, it just feels like that's what kids are used to. I, I've experienced that myself
1: uh, with, with adults. I think the greatest tool you can have in learning is humility. The way The example I use is if you had a full cup, you, if the cup is full, you cannot pour anything else into it because it'll overflow. So before you want to try a new task, you have to empty your cup. Empty mm-hmm. out all your prejudices, all your things you think you know, and just come with an empty cup and be ready to learn.
0: Because yeah. you might, might be an astrophysicist, but this is chess. It's a, it's a new thing for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, it's funny because my professor made the same analogy when I was in school. He would make to the students is like, there you have your bucket that's all your knowledge and what all i'm asking you to do is not even to empty your bucket just put it over there until the end of the semester i'm take a fresh bucket we're going to pour stuff into it and then feel free to dump it at the end of the semester if you want or maybe you merge your buckets and you figure out from there so i think it's it's such a good analogy you're right if you come in thinking you know everything already it's pretty darn hard to learn new stuff that's absolutely correct but I don't think, see, kids don't come with that, though. They just come ready to learn and have fun. Yeah, I I found with my daughter the most amazing things where it'll be like, don't move the pawns in front of your castled king. You need them there to keep your king safe. And she's like, got it. And then her Mm -hmm. opponent takes her knight that's in front of her king, and she does not recapture. And she's like, you told me, (laughs) do not move those pawns. And I was like, wow, okay, you really adhere to rules. She took it literally. She took it very literally. And that was really upset with me when I was like, well, there you should have taken it. She's like, well, what is it? Do I move them or not? Right. Right. Uh, fascinating stuff. Okay. Um, let's see. So we've talked about quite a few books that you worked with. Um, we seem to be of sort of a similar generation of learning. So are you more of a book learner or a video learner? Or are you able to pull... Uh, from both of those sources. Well, I, I prefer the books more like the
1: physical book. is like when I'm touching it and I'm reading the words, it's, it's I feel like I retain the information, but than watching a video.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I, I'm in the same, uh, spot and I, I find it fascinating that I feel like the, the, like the generation after us is almost the reverse, right? Like they're like, Oh, books. Oh, I can't learn anything from books. They're, they're big I, and they're heavy and I got to flip a page. Absolutely, I've had the same experience. They they hate books. They would rather watch videos. Yeah, and, and videos they can process and learn everything from. Whereas when I watch a video, I have a very hard time retaining that information because my mind thinks it's just a movie. And they're like, "Oh, cool, that's Tom Tom Cruise." And I'm like, "No, that's not Tom Cruise." Listen, brain, that person is educating you. That's right. That's right. We we all learn. Yeah, exactly. We all learn differently. Um so are you doing any more um tournaments than your weekly tournaments now that you're back? Are you looking to make that big push and go to national tournaments and things like this? Yeah, I'll probably make that push again. I just it was a tournament uh
1: Sunday, so I played in that, but now the season has ended for that. They're going to start back up in a couple months. So in that in the meantime, I find a, a bigger tournament to go to while while I study of course. Just to gotcha. sh- sharpen
0: back up. Yeah, are you going back to the full immersion or are you you know, too busy now and only only able to do like a half immersion? Yeah, I'll probably, probably do a half immersion now.
1: Okay. But I'm, I'm prepared before I go to any big major tournament because I don't just want to donate rating points.
0: Yeah. Are you going to more of a half immersion just because you have more things in your life going on? Or did you ever burn out? Because it kind of feels like going as hard as you did for as long as you did sometime would lead to some level of burnout. Yeah, absolutely. I always made it my business to take breaks. So I would take a break
1: from chess and then I would ignite this passion and maybe love it again. So I wanted to get back to it. But I think it's so important to take breaks. Even if you're playing Blitz online and you lose a couple games in a row, you you gotta take a break.
0: Okay. Yeah. Even though you have this burning passion breaks are still useful to keep that passion burning oh absolutely absolutely i've I've never seen a fire burn forever okay what a great analogy man you're like the analogy machine i love this um (laughs) (laughs) when you talk about breaks how long are we talking about are we talking about like uh, a day a couple weeks like what did your breaks look like yeah
1: sometimes i would take about two or three weeks off no chess.
0: oh okay Gotcha. So and that, then just you were able to just come right back with the full fever once you were back. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I would miss it. They say absence make the heart the heart rules more fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I I could see you like in your in your house being like, ooh, I kind of want to play chess tonight. And then you're like, no, no, let's make the fire burn brighter and really miss it, and then come back strong. That absolutely that was it.
1: That was yeah. me. I had to myself not to play. I was, I remember a, a tournament and a couple of guys were in the Skittles One It was a master versus a master. And the one guy is just losing badly. And the other guy has to play a, a tournament game the next day. So he keeps begging him for one more game, one more game, one more game. And that, that would have went on all night if the guy never left. So I think that's how we all are. When we lose, we just want to win. A, we want to win at least one to get some yeah. payback. Yeah, I hear but that. We, Gotta have the
0: discipline to say, okay, that's enough. (laughs) 27 losses is enough for today. Stop stop the bleeding, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, Phil, um, this has been pretty remarkable. Uh, I feel like what I learned today, and maybe you can help me understand if I got this right, that the secret to your success at least is really going after it and really committing and understand that if you want to really get good at this thing, you're going to have to put in the time. But for you, it's not a have to. It's I love to. I love to put in the time. Um, And then not being overly concerned with ratings, gains, and progress, just enjoying the process and seeing where it takes you. You hit the nail on the head. If you fall in love with the process and do your due diligence, the rest will take care of itself okay, man, i i don't I don't know what to say other than that that's that's the perfect end right there. That's beautiful. Well, Phil, thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a great interview. And I hope you do take pride and understand what a unique achievement it is to pick up the game at nineteen and make master. Man, that is that is what we're all trying to do, and we are all failing. and you did it, Phil. So you know, thanks for setting the the model for us. and uh, thanks for being awesome. Yes, thank you for having me. And I hope this interview can help some people achieve their their goals in chess as well. Use some of the, even if it's one thing you can take from this interview, that would be enough to help you make some progress. Yeah, agreed. Well, thanks so much, Phil. Where can people reach you if they want to follow up with you? Are you available on any platforms or any spots where people can contact you? Yes, absolutely. I'm on social media on Facebook at Philemon
1: Thomas. That's P H I L E M O N thomas i'm on instagram on philemon speaks and on tiktok on philemon speaks as well oh do you produce content for these at all absolutely i i'm actually a motivational speaker as well so what i do is i combine chess and motivational speaking into one so i use some principles
0: from chess and i show how they apply to life as well okay this does not surprise me you are a very motivational speaker what i want to do is as soon as this interview is over go play chess and study for eight hours i don't know if i'll be able to but that's what my desire is now the fire is burning that's right all right well everyone out there i hope you are feeling as motivated as i am um and hopefully this is a week where you make all your ratings gains and if not you know go with go with phil here trust the process have fun with it and uh just know at some point the gains will come Thanks for stopping by everybody and I'll see you next week.